times up. Put your pencils down because it's time for the Star Seminar. And now, here are your hosts, Rabble Rouser and Danny Fenton. Welcome once again, faithful scholars of Cowboys football, to another edition of the Star Seminar, your team taught class in all things Cowboysology. Led by none other than world-renowned Cowboys scholar, Dr. Danny Phantom, and his trusty sidekick, yours truly, Dr. Rabble Rouser, the mushroom who's growing in his shadow. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well. I'm, uh, you know, trying to just get things finished up uh, for the Christmas season. Uh, everything's going well, except my uh, mom. She's under the weather, uh, so... Hopefully she gets better. Uh, she just recently went to a, a little gathering in her. She lives in a kind of senior living center, and mm -hmm. um, they had like a just a little Christmas party, and they were doing the little um, gift exchange, the white elephant thing, and mm -hmm. she's telling me about it too. And it's just, it's I don't know, Rabs. This is one of the things about Christmas that I don't particularly care for. I'm not. I'm not sure who came up with this idea. But you know, who to have a little gift exchange to where you're allowed to steal from the other person, and throughout this whole thing, you, you just you see people get they get some people will get shafted with things. You'll see people taking other. It, to me, it makes no sense at all. I mean, I, my mom was telling me this one poor lady, um, she got stuck with toilet paper. You know, another one got like some fudge or something. But she's a diabetic, and it's like you know, I just just. I just find it very odd that there's such a game and during the Christmas holiday where you can go and and steal from people and and you see the worst in people. People don't feel bad about it. It's I've done the I've done the white elephant thing and I, I take my gift. I never steal anything. I don't care. I just want it to be over with. I don't even want to participate. I once ended up with like a a dog sweater. I don't know why somebody would think that this would be <laughs> a gift that that uh, it's a very specific you know, and I don't, and, but you know what, that's it. That's, that's what it is that I'm stuck with it. No one's taken it. Um, but I just, I don't know. I just find that really strange to me. I don't, I don't wanted to ask you, you know, what, is there anything about Christmas or something like that, that, that you don't particularly care for? Yeah. Uh, yes, it's, it's similar, but before we get into that, I, I have to tell you, I have to share a story. This is a, a, happened to a friend of mine. Their family does the Yankee swap or the white elephant every year. And every year, for years and years and years, what they do is they have this kind of like code thing where they're going to they get a bunch of um, lottery tickets. This is in California for the California lottery for grandma because grandma loves playing the lottery. And everyone sort of knows that this is grandma's gift <laughs> and we're going to let grandma get it. So if someone else opens it, grandma gets to steal and no one steals back. Well, they invite their friend Brian. Brian's a hoot. And Brian is doesn't either know about this tradition or care about this tradition. So grandma gets her lottery tickets and then it's Brian's turn. And and Brian looks at grandma and was like, uh, no, you don't need to do that. And Brian says, and I quote, sorry, grandma, I'm a gambling man. And takes all her lottery oh tickets. <laughs> and she couldn't steal them back because I think they had a limit on the number of times you could yeah. steal them and that she'd already stolen them from somebody else. So um, I actually kind of like the idea of the white elephant because it it's one of those things where none of the gifts have any value. It's just a fun kind of strategic game. I don't care if I end up with a dog sweater or, a, <laughs> you know, a bunch of Paps blue ribbon or some some sort of horrible thing I'm never going to use. That's OK by me. Um, the thing I hate is when I'm asked to give a gift to somebody I don't know or like. Yeah, that's yeah. or or um, I don't have enough time for a gift. So one of the things that that's happened that my wife and I have talked about is that like, you know, we'll sometimes agree as as a, you know, a, you know, obviously, you know, you're married, you have the, you have multiple families and multiple traditions you're trying to navigate at this time of year where it's very emotionally charged. And um, so what I try to do is to say, like, what are we going to agree on this year? What are we doing for each other this year? And and, and the thing that I always really f get frustrated by is when we all agree on something and then someone at the last minute says, well, I kind of violated our agreement because I found something for it. you know what I mean? And yeah. you're like, uh, and then you've got to like, you know, unless you want to be the boob, it doesn't bring anything because you sort of all agreed that you wouldn't, you've got to then go out and get something and you don't have time to do it. So you're just doing it to do it as opposed to the process that I really like, which is, 
okay, I have a month or two to really think about what I'm going to get for my mother-in-law. Right. She loves cooking. She has almost every kitchen implement. How can I find something really cool for her? You know, whatever, or a book that she'd really like, or, you know, whatever it is. And and then I'm just like, I have two days to desperately just get a gift to get a gift. And yeah. it just kind of feels like right. um, it runs contrary to all the things I enjoy about the holiday. Yep. So that's, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you what else runs contrary to all the things we enjoy about the holiday. And that is, the molly whomping oh that goodness. the Buffalo Bills put on our beloved Dallas Cowboys can, on can, Sunday. Can I exchange my that? Goodness. Can I exchange yeah, that game? Exactly. Exactly. Can I exchange that for the for the win against the Patriots or something? <laughs> um, so listen, we're going to need to uh, take a good chunk of our extra special holiday edition, which is probably going to need to run over because there's lots to talk about in this regard, um, to talk about that. But we also want to preview another challenging upcoming game against another good good team good in different ways but mm-hmm. very good opponent uh in the miami dolphins but before we get to the bill uh, bills before we get to the dolphins i just kind of want to ask you an interesting kind of trivia question here mm, i love that so very famously in 1993 the cowboys lost to the dolphins on thanksgiving on leon Lett's horrible gaff mm. we know about this we've talked about this uh, you and I before in terms of like, you know, low cowboy moments. But the, the fascinating thing is, of course, they won out and didn't lose again the rest of the season. That was our last loss of the season. They, they ran the table and then ran the table in the playoffs and won their second straight Super Bowl. So it, it kind of put a little salve on the wound, so to speak, from mm-hmm. that particular game. But interestingly, I was looking at this, and there are two other times in the Cowboys' history where they lost to the Dolphins and then proceeded to win the rest of their regular season games. Maybe not they've gone to the Super Bowl, they rest the rest of their regular season games. Mm-hmm. Can you name the years in which they've done that? <laughs> so when I first saw this question, I love first off, I love I love these questions. Um, I started just going through in my natural memory, and I you know I was like coming through. I can remember the row. Romo return game of 2015, and oh, I, I, I had there's certain games I remember, but then I realized that I am not going to be able to answer this question. So I actually attempted it again with a index card. I have my little cheat sheet for my test. So what I do have in front of me, Rabs, is the seven times that the Cowboys have lost. I want to just say right now, I don't know the answer to this, but okay. I think I, I I'm, I'm shooting for partial credit here because I think I can I think I I, I think I, I know I can get one um, just out of basic odds. But so here I'm going to run through this. Um, I'm going to go through there. The, the, they haven't lost to the Dolphins in 20 years, so that's the first thing I discovered. It's been a while. Last the last time was the Bill Parcells Quincy Carter year was, where they played them at Thanksgiving and Ricky Williams ran wild. So. I that so 2003 is one of my years, and I'm trying to now. As you mentioned, this is Parcells' first year. They actually made the playoffs. I think they finished strong. I cannot remember exactly what happened, so I have a question mark on this season. We'll get back to that, okay? Let's go back again. They're they're lost before that. 93, you mentioned it. That was this. That was one time they did it after the let uh, Thanksgiving fumble. So that happened. 89, they won one game. I'm crossing that off. That didn't happen. Fair enough. 87. You know, I do this like like a Sudoku puzzle. I don't know the answers, but I can figure some things out. So 87, that was the, so they had a losing season the year. That was a, the strike season. And um, mm-hmm. so I'm going to, uh, I'm going to say no on that. 1984, we actually talked about this last week. Uh, that that was that Monday night finale. Um, they lost very that, very last game of the year. Last yeah. game of the year, they lost that game. Uh, that Tony Tony Hill weird fumble or weird touchdown that bounced off the leg, you know, and scored. So they lost uh, that game. So finale. So that's not it. Brings me to seventy eight. There's only two left that they lost. Seventy eight. Uh, they went to the Super Bowl. They lost to, to the Steelers in Super Bowl thirteen. So that's a question mark. Uh, Nineteen seventy two. Uh, I don't even remember how they finished. That year, I know they won the Super Bowl in '71. Um, I, so that's also a question mark. So I have it narrowed down to three, and I'm going to pick two of them. Okay, I'm guessing. So I'm I'm going to okay. go. I'm taking I'm taking the Super Bowl year 1978 because they they went to the Super Bowl, and that's one of them. And honestly, I think I think Parcells, I think he strung it together and and pulled it together at the end, and they just they won, went through a string and won at. So I'm going 2003 
end uh, 1978, as my guess. Oh, that, that's some really, really nice deductive reasoning. And you are, in fact, one for two. So you got one of those two correct. So in 2003, they lost on Thanksgiving to the Dolphins and then actually lost horribly the next week to the Eagles. That was the game where they they'd beat, they'd beat the Eagles on the Randall Williams, like, uh, onside kickoff return earlier in the year then they went to philadelphia after losing to miami and lost 36 10 and then they lost the season the the, the final game of the season so they actually lost two more that oh year. okay so that was 78 you're absolutely right they lost the dolphins 23 16 and then didn't lose again until until they lost the super bowl to the steelers and in a game that you know arguably they could have beat the steelers that was a that was a that was a tough weird game with some weird bounces the other the other time was one of the ones you mentioned was 1973 in week 11, in a 14-game in a season, they lost to the Dolphins 14-7 to and then proceeded to win out. The remaining three uh, beat the Rams in the first round of the playoffs and then lost to the Vikings in the conference championship game. So, uh, interestingly enough, a couple times they've lost and then, and then won out. I think there's a pretty good chance that this might be the fourth time in their history this happens. I, I, I would agree. I, I could see I could see them losing to the to the Dolphins and then winning the rest of their regular season games for the fourth time in their season or excuse me in their history this particular year. We'll talk about the Dolphins just a second, but before we do, I think, dude, we got to talk about what happened in Buffalo. Yeah, let's get that over with. All right, so so let's let's try to identify just what happened. Um, I think the I think the easy thing is to is to go to the defense and say the defense played badly, et cetera, et cetera, because uh, you know the the Bills ran all over them up and down. And that's, so and that's I'd love to hear where where you're coming from in terms of what happened on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I believe that's that's clearly true. Uh, they they did they did play terrible. Uh, I I think and you and I we've had uh, many discussions about this. Uh, we. Our, we know that the Cowboys uh, are undersized. We know with what the, what they're trying to do um, with the, the personnel that they have on there. And we're not just talking about Marquis Spell, but we are talking about Marquis Spell because he is one of their linebackers. Uh, but we're talking about J. Ron Curse and Donovan Wilson. And mm-hmm. I mean, who's the, who's in effect the other linebacker? Yeah, I mean, those, those are the hybrid guys. And those are the guys that you see them at the, at the line of scrimmage all the time. Those are the guys mm-hmm. that are getting washed out, uh, whether it's just taking bad angles or just getting mauled by an uh, offensive lineman who has pulled. And there's a lot of things about this that we really can't expect to change because this is who they are. Now, could they have tackled better? Uh, most definitely. It was it was a terrible display. Not, not just tackling, but just effort in general to even get to a point to tackle. Uh, I just mm-hmm. thought, I just felt like the defense... They just they look like a bunch of guys waiting for someone else to make a play. Um, mm. That's what it looked like to me. Um, I mean, look at even the the fumble that wasn't challenged. I mean, Donovan Wilson was right there because he what what is what was he doing? I mean, he he jumped on it and got. But it's like there's just people just like they're always close to making a tackle, but no one's actually physically getting in there and and fighting through this. And that's what we saw. And I I, I feel like. It's sad because I don't think this is something that we can just suddenly, you know, flip a couple of switches here and then it's we're all better. Um, but at the same time, the Cowboys, they've been living and dying with this. And it's I'm not crazy worried, but I'm the same amount of worried as I, I, I recognize this defense is not filled with elite talent players, but they do a really good job most of the time. They just they didn't play very well on Sunday. But I think the other thing that you've pointed out, which which is absolutely right, is that this who we saw on Sunday is who they've always been. Right? They've never not been that team. The difference is one of opportunity. And so to me, uh, the thing that's really important and the thing we should probably talk about more is not, you know, oh, what happened to the Cowboys defense. This is who they are, and this is going to happen again and again, particularly if they play the kind of opponent who has a big, strong, powerful offensive line, who has a mobile offensive line, 
if you notice a lot of the runs happen on like pin and pull plays and where they were mm -hmm. they, a lot of times they were pulling a guard yeah. and i mean again and again they had an athletic guard who absolutely destroyed them on the edge sealed the edge cowboys lost contain and james cook popped outside for eight to ten yards i mean so many times so many of his yards were in big big chunk runs uh, off, especially off of left tackle um but I think the question, and I think you'd agree with me on this, the question that really needs to be talked about is what happened to the offense so the, uh, the offense couldn't help the defense out in terms of correcting or writing the negative game script they found themselves in. So let's talk about, let's talk about that because uh, this is a defense that's going to give up chunk plays in the running game. Mm -hmm. They've done it all year. They're going to continue to do that. Right. It's th that, as you said, is not fixable. What's fixable is the game script that's going to take people out of the run. They're not going to be able to stop the run. Yeah. So the way you do that is by being explosive on offense. And they were anything but explosive. So I'd love to hear hear you share what your thoughts are about why that happened. So I have a few different theories about this. Um, I think that one of the most the, the, the most disturbing one to me was the fact that the Cowboys didn't seem like they adjusted their game plan to take what Buffalo was giving them. We know they were they were playing the shell defense and they had like seven guys and kudos to Buffalo for getting pressure with four guys a lot of times and kudos mm -hmm. to them for disguising their their blitzes. They were de delayed. They were you don't know didn't know which guy was coming. Did a fantastic job at the line of scrimmage to to generate pressures in, in in different ways. So props to them. I mean that's that made it really tough on the on the Cowboys at the line of scrimmage. But what bothers me is that when you look at the play designs and what they were doing, there was just too much of too much almost just that just walked into the shell and there was very little room for Dak to operate. And it really made him, it challenged him in, in trying to, to make the reads and make the right plays. And it, obviously we saw what happened. It, it was, it didn't go well at all. So, I, I mean, to me, I was really missing those little plays where CD would come in motion and then fly across the middle and you give him the ball and let him run, you know, or same thing with Cooks or, or Turpin or guys to where if they're going to give you the underneath stuff, take it and make them play you. And then you can start looking for things and then more intermediate and deeper stuff. And the Cowboys didn't do it. They just kind of stuck with what they wanted to do, and it wasn't working. Um, another part of it, too, is the Bills aren't a very good run-defending team, and the Cowboys had some nice running plays, and um, I would have liked to seen them run more, and they did a really good job running out of the shotgun. Um, but to me, it's just like, where did it go? You know, they just... Mm -hmm. it, and I feel that, that part also concerns me because... They got to be a team that can be physical and run when they need to. I don't think we can get away with just relying solely on the pass to get, to maneuver the offense. I feel like they're going to have to find a way to run the ball successfully at times. Buffalo, obviously, look what they did. The weather definitely dictated that kind of thing, and they and they were able to do it. The Cowboys did not, and then it just it turned them very one dimensional, and it was it was disappointing. The Buffalo was going to win that game, but the Cowboys could have made it a better game by playing better. And I think offensively, they just they just didn't seem like they knew what they were doing. Yeah, I think that um, there are a couple of things that the Cowboys have been uh, really, really good at or that have helped them be really good on offense, I guess, more properly in recent weeks that we didn't see much of. So I think you're right about, about the running game. Uh, you know, you talked about the Buffalo um, blitzes and how they timed them so well. Some of those were like run blitzes and they mm -hmm. were yeah. incredibly effective. There were times when the Cowboys running game, uh, you know, in an early, on an early down would get them in a real negative situation. And I think that that's one of the reasons why they, they abandon it because being in second and 13 is just such a, such a bad place to be. W going into the game, I think we knew that the bills were going to try to drop seven and run four. We're going to invite the Cowboys to, to run um, and in some ways dare the Cowboys to beat them deep um, and, and or to beat them by running the ball. The weather and the conditions, especially the swirling wind conditions down there on the field, um, I think in some ways prevented the Cowboys from doing what they needed to do to get that shell pushed further back. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the weather took away 
certainly the latter of those and probably the former of those. So in some ways, when you have those taken away and they're playing a shell and they're playing their tails off, the kind of the kind of underneath plays that you're talking about aren't going to happen. And I, and I think the other reason they're not happening is because in the last month or two, let's say the last two months, since the buy, and we've talked about this many times, one of the things that the Cowboys began to integrate into their offense that has made it so successful and has been directly correlative to their success has been the use of pre-snap motion. And they almost eliminated pre-snap motion from their vocabulary on Sunday. And so the motion has the ability to force people to adapt, to confuse them a little bit, to uh, you know get them to, to to change their leverage a little bit, which creates a little bit of space. And then you and then, and then you can then you can move a guy, um, and and you know you have routes that create space for other routes. And none of that was happening. So the Cowboys reduced the possibility of that by happening by not really running much motion at all. But the other thing is, and this is where we got to give the Bills credit, they weren't fooled by any of the Cowboys route combinations. Like the, you know, the, the kind of plays that in recent weeks, you know, where Cooks and Tolbert run underneath crossers and suddenly you've got CD running, a, a, you know, a deep in and he's wide open because the underneath guys have been pulled by the other, by the other um, receivers routes wasn't happening. And so I think motion can help that, but the Bills are all such a heavy zone team that I wonder if McCarthy and his offensive brain trust said, do we really want to do a lot of motion on the road against a team who's not going to be affected by it? The answer might have been no. But I think the other thing is, I think that they're, they were assuming that being on the road, communication would be an issue for this team. And they decided that they didn't want a bunch of pre-snap penalties from, from due to communication problems thanks to motion or two guys moving at once. So I think that they thought that they were trying to help the game script and ended up absolutely demolishing the game script. Yeah. Well, I think that if, you know, this isn't the last we're going to see of this. And if the Cowboys don't have a better adjustment to it, then it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad in a multitude of ways because as you've already said, if the offense falters, suddenly our defense becomes bad, and um, so it's concerning. It's con- yeah, it becomes exploitable. Let's 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 not say bad. Let's say let's say more exploitable. It, yeah, I mean, I don't even know how, how else to describe it because we when we yeah. it's uh, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah yeah it, it gets ugly real quick. Rabs. I mean, we, we saw that mm-hmm. in San Francisco. We saw that in um, you know on Sunday. So it just it has just you know it just. Um, it's affects them exponentially mm-hmm. and, 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 and I think that they need to have better solutions. And that's the part that concerns me is because they've been looking really good against some of the, you know, people will say, well, they're playing easier teams. And that's, that's true. You now you come in against a very strong, you know, you know, Sean McDermott defense and suddenly it's a little harder this week. And then, mm-hmm. and look, mm-hmm. they're not able to maneuver it through these situations. And, that that's concerning when you get to teams like San Francisco and, you know, and come playoff time. Um, so I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't... So let's, 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 let's go back to something we've talked about before. And then I know we need to move on to Miami, but um, one of the things we've talked about before is being conservative and the reasons that McCarthy and his, and his uh, coaching staff are conservative, particularly early in games, but in, in games in general, and I think it, it, it's because they're playing the long game. Right. But it's also because what you don't want to do is open it wide, wide open and have something bad happen early so that you get into a negative game script on the road. That's exactly what happened this week. We, we saw that. Right. And this the, it, the situation that we saw against Buffalo is precisely the situation that they philosophically have tried to avoid all year on the road. That's why they play more conservative on the road, because they don't want that to happen. So in some ways, what we need for them to do is to risk that, right? I mean, that's sort of what we're asking them to do is to play more open on offense, risk those sort of big plays that can happen, but also big plays that can happen against you, which can lead to getting down 17 early and and having to claw back, you know, uh, a negative game script against a charge up team on the road, which is a really, really difficult thing to say to do as we've seen. And, and, we also know this team's not built to do that. Um, 
I think I think what their strategy was is we're gonna we're gonna try to eliminate the mistakes that get us into unfavorable down and distances, keep the game close, and then try to find a way to win at the end. And that didn't happen because there there were a lot several plays that went against them early, right? I mean, there's a eleven to seventeen points somewhere in that range of, of plays that happened in the first half that you know, contributed mightily to the negative game script and they got, they got unlucky. But I think that it's an open question to me about what they want, they should be doing philosophically, because if we go against Miami and try to open it up and do motion, all that kind of stuff, and it goes South, dude, it could go South, right? This is a team that can take you South to South beach, my friend, very, very quickly. Yeah. But you're not going to beat Miami by playing conservative either. So, I, I think you're probably right. I think they got to go for it. But I, I think that Cowboys Nation just needs to know that this could get horrible because the route to victory means, in some ways, it makes the it makes the the route to horrible, embarrassing loss easier. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it could have been any easier for Josh Allen on Sunday because he didn't have to do anything. Uh, the Cowboys offense. They weren't doing anything, and uh, to me, I would rather them take some chances. You know, try to make some plays, and and I just I, I felt like more. It wasn't like a long game. Like if you say, well, you know what, the most important thing is like stay healthy. You know, Zach Martin got hurt, so we had T.J. Bass in. So let's just let's who cares about the win? Let's just be cautious. But I mean, he was playing Dak late in the game. I mean, that, so that's clearly not part of his design. I, I'm more worried about I, that he just doesn't have it in him to make those adjustments and to make those plays to, that they need for, for the Cowboys offense to be successful. I feel like if suddenly someone throws a curveball, he's just, there's, I mean, the Cowboys offense are just going to whiff. Like they don't have the ability to to maneuver out of that. And that, that's the part that worries me. We've seen them do a good job lately and other, against other teams. But I just don't know how it could go from having the suddenly the number one offense in the league again to just so bad, and that worries me because good teams are coming. Speaking of they coming, Rabs, I want to find out about this Miami Dolphins team. So, what do you say? Um, can you can we get a little uh, Rabbles roundup? It's time for Rabbles roundup. I think we can. <laughs> it doesn't get any easier, and it could even get more challenging. I think the, the the Dolphins, in some ways, are a much scarier team. I don't know that they're. I think they might be a better matchup, but I think they may be a scarier team. Um, so let's 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 talk about the people who have put that team together. What do you know about the combination of the of the, the sort of spine that I like to look at every week during the roundup of the owner, general manager? Uh, head coach, offensive coordinator, and quarterback, the sort of, you know, spine of the team. Yeah, well, I can't tell you much about the people at the top. Um, it basically mm -hmm. starts with Mike McDaniel, who I know, you know, you know, from San Francisco and the job that he did against us uh, the first time we played in the, San Francisco in the playoffs in 2021. Mm -hmm. So I know about, and of course, then their, their young quarterback, Tua, who is very, uh, very controversial as far as is he good or is he not people don't know um there's so many good weapons around him to where it's hard to tell so really those guys is, is as far as it goes so you're gonna have to educate us here about uh this dolphins team okay i'll try to do that quickly um and their their owner Stephen Ross is is fairly nondescript in terms of like he's a fairly standard dude. He bought the team from Wayne Heisinga of Blockbuster Video fame after Blockbuster Video began to kind of um, fade. So it's a pretty standard career arc for a, a, an NFL owner these days. Uh, finance guy finds a niche, makes a gazillion, buys a team from guy who uh, you know has a fading uh, you know comes from a fading business sector. Um, He's not known for being meddlesome, but he hasn't exactly stayed out of the news. Like he's got a bunch of like weird celebrity minority owners. He was the only guy who cast a no vote when the, when the NFL owners voted 31 to one to uh, on, the, on the Raiders moving to Vegas. Um, and of course, there's all that stuff that happened with Brian Flores, right? So the Dolphins were cited in a federal class action lawsuit. Uh, the NFL, the NFL subsequently stripped the team of their 2023 first round draft pick and the 2024 third round pick for violating the anti-tampering policy 
um, when they were when they were going after Tom Brady and Sean Payton, and he was fined one and a half million. He was suspended. He was prohibited from being at the Dolphins facility or rep representing the team at any event for a year. So clearly, this guy was behind that. He decided he was going to sort of operate outside the bounds, whether they're actual legal bounds or whether they're sort of gentleman agreement bounds that the league abides by. Um, he was prohibited from attending any league meetings before the annual meeting in 2023, et cetera, et cetera. So he got, he got more than just a, a slap on the wrist. They, they really came down hard on him. GM Chris Greer, who had been a, uh, with the Dolphins for 20 years at that time, he started as an area scout, moved up to the national scout, was the director of college scouting, and then finally was named general manager in 2016, although he was under Tannenbaum. Kind of in a weird position, he rose to the highest personal seat in the organization uh, when Tannenbaum left, and has had five drafts since. But I think by far his best move was to hire Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel is probably my favorite NFL head coach. I think he's the smartest coach in the NFL. He's a really interesting guy. He's, he's really refreshing because um, he's young, he's cool, he's not. I mean, he's he's an athlete, but he's not like that sort of like you know, polyester coaching shorts and a whistle kind of guy. He's a really interesting creative guy. And he's just, he, he loves, he loves the intellectual side of the game. We probably all know the origin story, right? He's a ball boy with the Broncos in 2000. He, and he went to Yale and came back in 05, returned to Denver, but now as a coaching intern, a year later, he joined Kyle uh, Shanahan um, on Gary Kubiak's Houston Texans coaching staff. So a bunch of the Denver guys went to Houston. Um, Mike Shanahan obviously stayed in Denver. Next decade and a half, he and Kyle Shanahan worked together side by side. The two bright young offensive coaches were inseparable. They went, they worked together in Washington, in Cleveland, in Atlanta, where they went to Super Bowl, in San Francisco, went to Super Bowl and lost um, to Super. So they've been they've been together for years and years and years. When I was doing this research on the Dolphins, I, I came across a tweet by Albert Breer in which he wrote, "To me, what you need to know about new Dolphins coach Mike McDaniel is right here." Kyle Shanahan's had a lot of brilliant coaches work under him the last 14 years. There's only one he's taken everywhere, everywhere with him, from Houston to D.C. to Cleveland to Atlanta and San Francisco, and that's McDaniel. McDaniel has always been his dude. So um, I, I really think that McDaniel may be the best head coach in the NFL. I don't know that he has the, has the, has the sort of depth, uh, and, and maybe his GM isn't as good as, as Shanahan's, but my goodness, they're they're close, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if their two teams face each other in a oh, Super yeah. Bowl. If it's not this year, if not this year, in in you know in the next couple three years. So they hired McDaniel as the head coach in, in 2022, and he wanted an offensive coordinator, even though it was obviously going to be his offense. He wanted a, a guy, especially a, a kind of like-minded guy who was a run-focused guy. He he had similar run-focused principles, but was experience in different systems i, I think that that's that's one of the things about mcdaniel that's so interesting he's willing to take on opposing you know viewpoints and kind of wrestle with it to come up with something that that is new and fresh he's always looking for new stuff and smith fit that profile he's a former tight end coach under under john gruden with the raiders he was a running game coordinator with brandon staley in san diego uh, and he worked with McDaniel at a summer coaching summit in 2021. So they knew each other, knew they were compatible. I think that that, that gave him a little bit of an intro. And um, so he's he's the, the offensive coordinator in name. But let's be clear. This is 100% Mike McDaniel's offense. Yes. I think that Frank Smith helps with, uh, you know, setting up the, the game plan, particularly for the running game during the week. Um, you know, he's, he's you know, he's, a, he's an interesting, creative guy, but it's, it's McDaniel's offense. So I'm not going to go too deep into this, but but yet I am because this is what the Cowboys have to stop, right? That we talked about the Cowboys' defense and their inability to stop, uh, you know, the Bills, and I think that they they've had a lot of trouble stopping um, the kind of Shanahan-based offense that gives you a lot of eye candy, um, and it has a really varied running game, runs a lot of outside zone, does a lot of passing off that running game, et cetera. So let's talk about some of the hallmarks of the Shanahan offense um, that I think we're also going to see here with the Mike McDaniel offense, right? They're, they're going to be consistent in their execution, but they're going to look to create explosives. The run sets up the pass. Oh no, the Cowboys can't stop the run. Uh, it, feature, it features play action to create space underneath it favors speed and athleticism over size. So there's an executive, I, I saw, I found a quote by an executive recently that said, 
they have speed at all levels. And that, that's why I think they're more terrifying than the Bills. And they can stretch the field both horizontally and vertically. Another echo that saying it looks like they do a heck of a job stretching you both vertically and horizontally with speed and creative play designs. And then the third one said it's the head coach's high football IQ, having an anticipatory quarterback with accuracy and then vertical and horizontal speed and run after the catchability, right? So we talked about, San Francisco's offense and how much they 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 they're benefiting from that sweet sweet yak. This is another offense that's doing the same. So, a lot of the same plays from multiple formations. They generate that sweet sweet yak by um, by their play design. We're going to see a lot of twenty one personnel with two running backs, dude. They're going to run the ball. They're going to they're going to they're going to you know we're going to see a lot of really interesting um, running plays. We're going to see a lot of bend plays. We're going to see a lot of outside zone. Uh, we're going to see a lot of screen passes. And I think the other thing, and this this is something we talked about in terms of the Cowboys, we're going to see a lot of motions and shifts. So I want to talk about one wrinkle that has actually been talked about a decent amount in the last month or so, maybe even earlier in the season, which is that sort of what, what Mike McDaniel calls the cheat motion, right? Which is a, it's a kind of motion out. Mm. And we've even seen C.D. Lamb do that. I think the Cowboys have copied that. Um, which gives like guys like Tyreek Hill, who's probably the fastest player in the NFL, and and Jalen Waddle a running start at the snap where they're using less energy than running in motion across the formation. So basically, they're just running out and they're running at full speed at the snap, and they're they're running toward the sideline and they're sort of sort of running in some ways a wheel route. Um, they don't have fast guys just to be fast. The motion that they use is high for a reason, and that reason is this, and this is what we need to really think about vertical displacement and misdirection right they want to displace you vertically so they can get big plays down the field so speed is speed but knowing how to leverage that speed is what separates good from great offenses and mcdaniels leverages that speed better than anybody uh you talked about tua and the question that continues to surround him about is it his weapons? Is it him? Is it his system? And I think the answer is yes. Like, you know, when you have all those things, you're going to be good. Even the best quarterbacks need some of those things. Um, and we've seen like what happens with a guy like Jalen Hurts when he doesn't have those things. He returns to earth and he, he, when he doesn't have the easy button, you know, six out of seven plays, he's, he's not nearly as good. Uh, we've seen that happen with, when, when Dak doesn't, right, in, in, in other years. Um, and we saw what happened when Dak didn't against Buffalo. So, Two is having a career year. He had a career year last year. He was the youngest NFL quarterback since Marino in 84 to lead the league in passer rating. Um, he led the league in, in red zone passer rating and third down rating, yards per attempt. And, and this year he's, he's on pace to set career highs in completion percentage, in touchdown passes, passer rating, yards per game, all these metrics. Um, this is a very, very scary opponent. Mm. I, so I, I, listen. I think the Cowboys can win. I think they're. I think they're going to play harder, play better than they did last week. But like I said, I think this is a much more terrifying opponent just because of the upside they have. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I totally agree. I mean, they got to play better this week. But question will be, will it matter? Well, yeah. Will it be enough? Yeah. I don't know. But I guess we're going to find out uh, through Phantoms Five, aren't we? So uh, why don't you bring it to us, my friend? It's time for the Phantom Five. Do it slowly. Do it again. It's time for the Phantom Five. We've been waiting all all podcasts for this. I'm all a quiver with anticipation. Give us that five. So, what's the first one? I wish I had better news, um, but so this the first one is South Beach bringing the heat. Um, and that's the beginning of the Will Smith song. No, I know Will Smith's probably your favorite rapper, Rabs, if I Absolutely. if I had to guess. Um, but it also describes the Dolphins' insanely good offense, which I think you just spent, you know, the last ten minutes, you know, validating that and, and uh, making a strong case. I mean, yeah, Mike McDaniel, his offense is tops in the league in scoring. They're tops in the league in yards gained. Uh, they are very good at a lot of things. Uh, the running back tandem of Raheem Mostert and Devon Achain have a collective mm. total yards of 1,905 scrimmage yards and 29 wraps, 29 touchdowns. Uh, the wide receiver duo of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell have a collective total of 2,506 receiving yards and 16 touchdowns. That is 45 touchdowns between the Dolphins' top four offensive weapons. 45. So just as a reference, that's 20 more 
Then the Cowboys' top offensive weapons, which is CeeDee Lamb, Brandon Cooks, Tony Pollard, and Jake Ferguson. 20 more. That is insane. This Dolphin, Dolphins, Dolphins offense is crazy good. Um, I think that became apparent to all of us when they put up 70 in Week 3 against the Broncos. Uh, the Cowboys' mm-hmm. defense must have some answers to avoid being slapped in the face on Sunday. So, And one of those players that I'm worried about being slapped in the face is, you know, number two is an uphill battle for Deron Bland. And we've had discussions about Deron Bland, you know, this season. Um, you know, Ty- Tyreek, he, he missed last week's game with an ankle injury, but they didn't need him. They beat the Jets 30 to nothing. Uh, his status remains a question. I'm sounding like he's probably a go. We'll, we'll see, though. Uh, but his return, of course, will be paramount to what the Dolphins offense can do. He's over he, 1,500 yards this year. People were talking about 2K. You know, you you know if he was healthy, I mean, he still got a shot at it, actually. Um, but, I mean, he just takes the top off of, of opposing defenses. And I think the Cowboys have done a solid job putting Stephon Gilmore on the, the you know, their opponent's top receiving target. Um, but the Dolphins have two, and that's going to be a problem. So this means Deron Bland is going to be challenged in a big way if Hill is on the field. Uh, we've seen Dallas struggle past defense in recent games against Washington and Seattle. And while they have gotten a little better the last couple of games, I think this will be a huge test for their defensive backs. I think actually that's where the style uh, d- d- sort of discrepancy is going to be most telling because, you know, we've seen, you were, as you were saying, Gilmore is taking guys out, but he, they've been big physical receivers. They haven't been right. smaller, like track star type receivers and these are the, these are this is the pat the fastest pair of receivers in the league and that's not the cowboys cornerbacks game no and i'm worried so it, it, yeah it, that could be that could be uh <laughs> boy that that could end up being very i'm dangerous. worried about gilmore too so it, it's both of them honestly yeah. they're gonna have the work cut out for them agreed what's number three my friend so you know you touched on this a little bit and this one is don't get shelled on offense and, uh, you know, speaking of the Broncos that we just talked about uh, losing to Miami um, earlier in the year, uh, I'm sure you remember back in 2021, the Broncos came into Dallas and put a, a whooping on them, ending their six-game winning streak. Um, you know, Denver, uh, they led like 30 to nothing in the fourth quarter in that game, and the Cowboys mm-hmm. snaked out a couple garbage-time touchdowns. Um, but anyway, Dallas, Dallas went on to lose two of the next three, and some have said that uh, Broncos head coach at the time, Vic Fangio, laid out the blueprint for stopping the Cowboys offense. So uh, we mentioned like a couple weeks ago, you know, Fangio spent last season as the Eagles defensive consultant where he was, where they were actually tops in the league in passing yards per attempt. If you can imagine that this, you know, obviously, you know, he's gone out of Philly. Philly is not good. You know, their defense is struggling uh, this year, Uh, but who's not struggling defensively is the Dolphins because Fangio took over as their defensive coordinator. Uh, Miami is ranked, fourth in the league in yards per play. They're slightly better than the Cowboys defense. You talked about them being right on top of each other. I mean, I, I think that's perfect description. Um, while Miami's success is predicated on um, their explosive offense, I think their defense can make plays. So uh, the Cowboys are coming off this game where Buffalo's defensive scheme just stymied their passing attack. You no, know, against the Bills, they only had 106 yards passing. That is the lowest total of a Dak Prescott Led Cowboys team since back in November of 2017. That's a long time, um, so you better mm-hmm. you better believe that Fangio is going to have a good plan to challenge Dak Prescott and the Cowboys passing attack. I mean, the Cowboys are going to have to do something they haven't done before. He's been a Cowboys killer every time they faced off, and so let's see if um, if Mike McCarthy has an answer that Kellen Moore never did. What's the what's the next one, my friend? So the next one is kind of a little bit of a. A springboard not this because this one is Fangio is coming for you you know and so there is a lot of talent on this Dolphins defense they have two all pro corners in Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Xavier Howard as well as mm-hmm. a, a nice rising star safety in Javon Holland uh, their secondary is even better when you consider the fantastic pass rush that this team has they have three former top 20 overall picks and Bradley Chubb who was taken fifth mm-hmm. overall Christian Wilkins 13th overall and then Jalen Phillips, 18th, and, and and they have 24 sacks between those three. Uh, as a team, they have 48 sacks, which is second most in the NFL, trailing only the Ravens. So expect Fangio to dial up pressure against an offense that has shown moments of disarray when they get rattled. I mean, Prescott has been sacked 10 times over the last three games. 
after not being sacked at all over the previous three. Uh, I think with a strong interior presence uh, that the Dolphins bring, I think this is going to put a lot of strain on the, the two Tylers and an ailing Zach Martin if he is mm-hmm. able to go. Wow. That, the, the, none, none of this sounds particularly promising. Uh, uh, does the fifth of Phantoms 5 give us any more hope, my friend? Uh, it does not. Um, oh. But uh, it's, it's, it teases you that it is. This one is the grass ain't always greener. And uh, so, I mean, we already know that the Cowboys are a better home team than they are a road team. Uh, that's not groundbreaking information. They averaged almost twice as many points at AT&T Stadium, where they're at 39.9 versus... 21.7 on the road. Uh, they're undefeated at home, and they have a losing record on the road. Um, so, But while the Cowboys can win on the road, they do struggle on natural grass. And I think this is kind of weird. I don't know if it means anything. But over the past two seasons, the Cowboys have played 10 games on grass, and they have lost all but two of those games. Uh, I think they are good when they can come out and do what they plan to do. But they struggle when they got to improvise. And, you know, we, we've seen them have some footing issues in the past. And while natural, you know, grass is safer in terms of like preventing injuries because it provides a little more give, it also hinders, you know, the cutting ability and it just slows players down. Uh, will this be a problem for Dallas? I don't know. But Miami, they play at Hard Rock Stadium, which is on grass. Beating a good team on the road on natural grass would be something they haven't done in a while and likely something they'll have to do to advance in the postseason. So, Rabs, I already know where your mind at here as far as who's going to win this game. But can you give me a, your final score prediction? I do think that, you know, you mentioned the, the Denver game after the Cowboys had been on a winning streak. I mentioned earlier the Indianapolis game in 2018 after the Cowboys had been on a winning streak. I do think there's an element of both of those in, in the Buffalo game. Um, and I think in both, I think in both instances, the Cowboys bounce back the next week. I'm sort of looking at two outcomes. I think if the game is close, the Cowboys can win. I think if the game is not close, it's going to be really not close. And it'll be a, a Dolphins win by like 24 or something plus. So I'm going to give you two possibilities here. I'll give you, I'm going to say, say the same score I said last week for Buffalo. I'm going to say 40 to 34. Cowboys, but I'm also going to give you 48-21 Dolphins. Okay. A little bit weird um, that you uh, can't seem to make up your mind there. Um, but I, I understand. I get the, the mindset. I just, think, I just think there are two. There, there, there's a game script, and, they, they, and there's a fork in the road of that game script. And, it, and depending on which way they the, the fork goes, we can end up with one of those two outcomes. Yeah. I, um, I think this outcome is pretty obvious to me um mm-hmm. i i i think the cowboys got some things they got to figure out and after seeing what we saw in buffalo i i just feel i'm not gonna what's just wipe, wipe this away like some type of an anomaly i think there's some some real things happening here i got them losing big i got them losing 42 to 22 don't ask me how they get 22 i don't even know it's Maybe a fell two point. I don't know. Something weird's going to happen. But I feel like the Dolphins are going to have control, have some explosive plays early. Cowboys going to have, have to play catch up, and it's they're going to spend most of the game like, are they going to do it? Are they going to get back in the game? Are they not? Are that? And then ultimately they do not. And I mean, it, I, I don't even feel like it will even be as close as that score dictates. So I've already conceded to that that's going to happen. But I wanted to say, Rabbit, we'll just close things out. Cowboys going to lose this game on Sunday. But I don't care. I don't think it matters. I think that they're going to be fine because I still we we all know that the Eagles they got to lose one more game for the Cowboys to have a chance. They have to. Without it, doesn't even matter. They have to lose one game. So assuming that they do somewhere along the line, whether it's Tommy DeVito or Kyler Murray, assuming it happens, the Cowboys could lose a game. So this Miami game could be a mulligan. You know, they could lose it and regroup, come back, and hey, like mm-hmm. you said in the in the beginning of the show finish out the season on a winning streak, and then the Cowboys can still take down the East. So I'm going to be sad about what's going to happen on Sunday, but I'm not going to just, you know, it's not over. And I tell you what, it's super important to get that division title because there's, it's so different. And, um, and you know, especially when you're talking about playing on turf versus grass. Yeah. Super yeah. important. Uh, 
I do think, and we talked before about, you know, if the Eagles win the NFC East, the Cowboys will almost certainly be the five seed and will play the uh, NFC South winner. Um, I think that, you know, the Cowboys would have to be a strong favorite, even if they have to go on the road uh, against that team. But that would mean that the next week they'd be on the road. And they're, as we've made clear this entire conversation, and as they demonstrated all year, they are a vastly different team on the road. I will also say that it's becoming ever clearer to me that going on the road to San Francisco and getting your backside handed to you is not an indictment of where you are as a yeah, team. Yeah, I know, but I think I think I think that team is just that team is going to destroy everybody. I they're they're I think historically good. I really do. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think they are too, but I just want their. You know what? I want I want. San Francisco would have to have a be in a dog fight with the the Eagles in the divisional round. You know how they hate each other. Maybe things are just a little, little they're a little worn down from that game. And who knows? Maybe the Eagles have some fluky upset potential. You know, even though we we all don't we all know they're frauds. But you know, I just want them to go through that so that if we can just get to the NFC Championship and just maybe the stars align and we just have one of those games where we do get up from, you know, and, and, and the offense is moving the ball mm-hmm. and where mm-hmm. our defense is allowed to be who they are when they're successful, that there's just maybe a chance. But I do think it has to happen in that manner. I don't know. I don't, If we have to go on the road, San Francisco divisional round, I feel like it's, here we go again. You know, this is, here we go again. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, in, in the last couple of years, that's really just been the, the, the luck of the, of the the playoff draw in a way and who won and who didn't win. Um, I think, I think the three best teams in the NFC, I don't even know who the third best team is, but I think the Cowboys are the second best team in the NFC. um, And the, but they're probably 20 points better than the Eagles. And I think that the 49ers are probably 20 to 24 points better than the Cowboys. And that's just the spread. That's that, that's the truth of it. Yeah. The Cowboys are, are really good. And they may, if they were in the AFC, they might even be the best team in the AFC. If not, they'd be in the conversation. But well, we'll um, see about that. I, I just, I really, I, I, I don't think it really, I don't think any of this matters because they're not, they, the 49ers are so, so good. And once they get in playoff mode, they're going to be even better. Um, but, you know, I think it could be, it could be a really fun barn burner. And I, I think, you know, even if the Cowboys do, do, you know, lose in the divisional round again, I think beating the Eagles for the, for the title, um, it's something that I want to be talking about all off season. So yeah. I hope that does happen. It's, yeah. It's a nice little, uh, consolation prize there for sure. Absolutely. You right, know, but friend. I would like things to finish a different way. Um, but speaking of finishing, that is all we have for our show today. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the blog and the voice podcast network. Leave us a rating, write a review wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, or Stitcher. Tell us what you think, anything you would like us to do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, any Cowboys hot topics, matchups you're looking at, or what is one thing about Christmas that you don't like, you can let us know. You can hit me up on Twitter. I'm at DannyPhantom24. Or you can send a letter to my buddy Rabble Rouser. Uh, his address is 124 Conch Street, uh, Bikini Bottom Pacific Ocean. Um, but don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have the world's team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart. So make sure to check that out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe. Stay happy. Stay true to the silver and blue. And we will catch you later. Class dismissed.